0: Welcome, everyone, to today's episode of the MedTech Business Academy. I'm your host, Colleen Patterson. And with us, like always, is Barbara Strain and Stephanie Pitts. Also joining us today is Roxanne McMurray. As a longtime CRNA educator and leader, she has contributed significantly to the nurse anesthesia profession. Combining her airway management expertise with a deep passion to improve care delivery for patients and providers, she invented a new airway device for anesthesia and emergency use. Her innovative award-winning McMurray Enhanced Airway, MEA, is the world's first distal pharyngeal Airway, pharyngeal does that, right. right, ladies? Hey. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we're so happy to have you here, Roxanne. Um, Barbara actually happens to introduce us to Roxanne, and when we heard a little bit about her story, we thought it was just such a fascinating one. Going from you know the registered nursing, getting her masters in the anesthesia, moving throughout into med tech, uh, you know just a really um, amazing evolve uh, and evolution to your career. So tell us a little bit about you know why nursing and, and how you got to where you are today.
1: Yes. Yeah, so well, why nursing? Wow, well, that goes way back. Um, <laughs> my grandmother, uh, she was born in the early 1900s, and um, she, was, she had a hospital back in the Depression. She opened her big Victorian house up as a hospital and took people in, and she had a traveling doctor. And so she was always pr- pr- promoting nursing. So when I was younger, she would ask, what do you want to do when you grow up? And so I would say, I want to be a nurse. I want to be like you. I want to help others. And so that was really planted at an early age of um, helping people and to um, just uh, follow, like in my grandmother's footsteps. And um, I love the science. I, I, I love uh, seeing the, the patient progress. And nursing is uh, is always been a you know it's a passion of mine. I've been doing this for almost 40 years now. Uh I did um when I went into nursing, I knew that I wanted an advanced degree. I didn't mm-hmm. know what that was at the time, but uh every anesthesia provider that I came in contact with, uh, nurse anesthetist said, Go into anesthesia. You'll love it. And that's my personality, focusing on one patient at a time. I love the ICU, I love the monitors, I love the lines, I love the high acuity. And so nurse anesthesia is uh Uh, I've been in that for over 30 years now. And then I branched out. uh, And after I got my master's in nurse anesthesia, I, in 2013, I received my doctorate, uh, DNP in nurse anesthesia. And I did that um, because it was, uh, I was missing that research background that I, I knew that I needed if I wanted to be an innovator. Mm-hmm. Research is the foundation of new devices, and that proves the the validity of the the device and understanding that whole research uh, piece. But also, uh, I wanted uh, to go into education because I knew that I would need to be a leader and an educator of this new device as well. So before I received my DMP, I had a a patent that was pending. And my family asked, okay, you have a patent. Now what are you going to do with it? Well, I needed that foundation for the DMP to uh, do something with that patent.
0: There are so many amazingly interesting things that you just said. And I know that we're going to have a lot of questions about that. But, you know, as I was getting ready for today's conversation, one of the things that I really saw that resonated with me was your medical mission trip um, back in the early 2000s, which... It seems to me to really be a big spark of the invention of your device. Would you mind sharing that story with us?
1: Yes. So I've taken several. uh, I've taken several medical trips to different countries, but Peru, Lima, Peru in particular. I've been there numerous times. But I took care of this little boy. Uh, He was probably about eight years old, but uh, he was the size of a five-year-old. He had his lips were seventy-five percent fused. Um, due to a burn injury. So you can just imagine the malnutrition that he had since he he couldn't open his mouth to take in the the source of energy and food. Um, So um, uh, we had to fix his cleft palate uh, before, but before doing that, we had to open his mouth. So we had to get creative. And uh, I had to create a tool that we could keep him spontaneously breathing. Uh, but when you think about it, you have oxygen. When you give sedation, you have to supplement uh, their, their breathing, their oxygen with um, external source. So, And then you have cautery to open the lips. So when you have oxygen and cautery, fire, close together, you know, there's a... Um, a the high significance of having an airway fire or a fire in the operating room. So we had to come up with a device that could minimize that. And we did that. And coming up with that device, uh, we kept him comfortable. We kept him oxygenated um, and kept him safe. We could open his lips and then uh, provide a general anesthetic uh, before we started uh, giving uh, pr- uh, fixing his cleft palate and before intubating him. And thinking about that device that we created in Peru, and I was back at the home site working with deep sedation and looking at our uh, patients that now were obstructing their upper airways due to um, the deep sedation that uh, causes our distal pharyngeal tissue to collapse, but also obesity is increasing in uh, then early 2000s and um, our sedation is getting deeper because now we didn't just use sodium pentothal for a general anesthetic. Our procedures were changing. We could do deep sedation with propofol or diprivan and keep those patients uh, comfortable, but keep them um, so we didn't have to do a general anesthetic. So it's called a deep map. So and also, you know, our oral airways, our nasal airways haven't changed in like 100 years since inception. That Mm -hmm. design is pretty much the same since 1920s when they first were invented. And we're doing a lot more jaw thrusting and chin lifting. And it's because our patients have changed and our medicine has changed and our procedures have changed, but our airway devices have not. And so thinking about that device that we created in Peru, it's like, oh, I wonder if that would work here. And so we started. I started using it, um, and it's, it wasn't an FDA approved, so I didn't feel great about it, but it worked. And I noticed that other colleagues in my area were starting to use a device similar to this and creating a device. And it's like, okay, if I'm doing it, other people are doing it, we need a device that fills this gap. And so that's when uh, I started writing up, uh, doing patent search uh, um, and finding a patent attorney. And uh, we wrote the patent. The patent got issued. And then it's like, okay, now you got to do something with this patent. So that's when McMurray Medical was born.
2: I love that story, uh, and I've heard it a couple of times, and and it always just sort of inspiring. So now we're at the next phase, and, and our women in med tech, you know, are on the edge of their seats, because how did you actually then go about, like, doing a business plan, forming a company, you know, what were some of those hurdles and things you had to overcome? <laughs> she's shaking her head already.
3: Those yeah. you can't see. Yeah, like like, what are you, what are you talking sure. about? I had the
0: patent. The company came together.
1: Yeah, you
3: know, yeah. and effortless. this isn't part of our training as nurses. So <laughs> yeah,
1: right. It's crazy. It's like uh, I had a desire to stay at the head of the bed and provide anesthesia. That's where my passion is. You know, I love nursing. I love anesthesia. Uh, being an inventor was way off my radar, uh, but I saw I saw a need. And I, not only with us creating our tools on the side and they're not FDA approved for that, but also close claims and airway management is going up for deep sedation and deep MAC. Uh, and uh, they said, well, we need better monitoring, which we, we we do need, we did need that. So now we're monitoring end tidal CO2 for all our deep sedation cases. We need more more oxygen. We need to give them better oxygen, better oxygen tools. Yes, yes, we do need that. But you know what? We need to open the airway and keep them breathing. That's what we really need to do. And we can, we can intubate the patients, but you know what? Ventilation is first. Basic airway management is necessary before you do advanced airway management. And that's where our gap is, is basic airway management. Yeah. So uh, forming the company. I tell you, I had to do a quick learn. My husband is in business; he's in sales. He's a great salesperson, and surrounding myself with uh, people who are knowledgeable, uh, listening to a lot of podcasts, uh, talking to people, and networking, uh, and you know, learning learning the hard way sometimes, unfortunately, but um, just uh, learning from key people. And going down that path, and just like educate me. You have to be a sponge. You have to be willing to be um, naive and ask those questions. And my go-to is that you the answer is always going to be no unless you ask. So I ask a lot of questions,
3: Roxanne. <laughs> a lot of um, clinicians have clinical challenges, like you found. Um, yours was quite unique, but have ideas, um, but they don't always take that next step of solving it and bringing it forward and actually getting a device that's available in the market. So I'm just curious what what was it that made you decide that you didn't have a choice but to do that because I I know so many clinicians that are in that spot and they just let it kind of pass by. What made yeah. you decide, nope, I have to do this. Yeah,
1: uh, seeing poor outcomes with patients, um, patients getting their cases canceled. I mean, that is a lot of money when you have an operating room set up and um, all the sterile packs are open and you bring your patient in and then it's like, oh, my word, I don't know if we can safely provide a deep sedation or safely do airway management in like an outpatient setting uh, for this patient. And it's like we just we have a gap in our tools, not only the gap in tools. I mean, there's it's multi that's difficult, but it's. You know, that was one of the things is like airway management um, is a like a, a stop. If we can't provide proper, if we can't keep our patients breathing, they need to go to the hospital. And I tell you, our procedures are changing. It, uh, 85% of our anesthetics are going to be out of the traditional hospital uh, operating room come 2028. That's the prediction. Wow. And uh just we we just everything else is keeping up with the times with advanced airway management, but like I said earlier, the basic management airway management hasn't. So this could be a tool to help. It's it's a multi-purpose tool, uh, the M E A, to help keep our patients breathing. But um, innovating, like your you know your question, um, it's uh, it's hard. It's tenacity. You have you have to believe in your product. It's not a Me Too product. We're the only distal pharyngeal airway out there. Mm-hmm. It's like between an oral airway and an LMA. We're hitting the tissue right by the epiclottis. Uh, and that's uh, 85% of the time when we're using an oral airway, we're providing a jaw thrust. And so our patients' chins are getting uh, tired, but our, their jaws are getting tired. They're getting bruised, they're getting dislocated. There's lawsuits. Because the patient's jaws are getting dislocated because we're not getting that tissue by the epiglottis that the MEA can reach. And uh, when you look at the odds of innovation, and it's out of every 3,000 patents that are issued, only two actually make it get innovated, the products, and 0.1% make profit in market. So the odds are not very good, but um, I I just, I saw a need.
0: I think it's amazing not only that you saw the need, but that you understood the idea that, you know, we can't always wait for something to be, you know, within the labeling on the use. Like sometimes we have to go off label. I know how dangerous that that can sound to within medtech, but, you know, we're really going to innovate in those new spaces. And I, I think that that's a great segue into you. You recently wrote or contributed to an article for the ASATT uh, specifically about the right tool for the job and reading through that article. One of the things that I found really fascinating, which you actually just touched on as well, was the non-operating room anesthesia, which you labeled as normal and the complications that are deriving from no longer being, you know, many of these procedures no longer being in a hospital setting. So, you know, as we're talking about not just the indications within a hospital, but also in those, you know, ambulatory surgical centers or, or you know, the those other areas, are you thinking that the trend is due to the increase of procedures that are being done on an outpatient basis, the the speed of time that that's turning there, just the general exception of those standalone, you know, what are some of the other contributing factors that we're seeing such a rise? I know you also mentioned, you know, the the rise in obesity um, in, you know, the recent years, but what else is it that's causing that?
1: Uh, it's when you can keep a procedure out of the main operating room um there's a time factor Mm -hmm. and time increased you know decrease in time increases value right uh so that's a money saving when you can uh um be more efficient and ambulatory surgery centers and procedure rooms are more efficient than the traditional operating room also the procedures have changed uh instead of doing uh Incision of full on incision, we can do a lot more under robotics or um, laparoscopic uh, through scopes. Uh, and so that saves time. And then, um, you know, the anesthetics, we can do a lot more with regional anesthetics now and keep the patient comfortable with the uh, other medications like propofol, giving them um, IV. And just the patient thinks they're having a general anesthetic, but really they're having a deep sedation or a deep MAC. And uh, they're just not aware of their surroundings, but we have to keep them spontaneously breathing Then,
2: Before we hopped on the call, we were chatting away uh, and uh, <laughs> Stephanie and Roxanne started in about nurse innovators and things. So why don't you pick up that conversation? Because it was kind of fun to listen to, Stephanie. <laughs>
3: Yeah, I. I mean, I, we were we were debriefing on the recent Think Conference that Sanciel had uh, last weekend. So the Society of Nursing Innovators, Entrepreneurs, Leaders, and Scientists. And I was just sharing. Uh, Colleen asked how it was, and I said, "Well, it's really great to be in a room with nurses who think similar, you know, to myself." And so meeting Roxanne today, who's also a DNP. Uh, Prepared nurse and an innovator. We were just sharing how sometimes it can feel lonely when you're a nurse on kind of the side where you're developing and thinking about new innovations. And when we get together, it just feels like we're very connected. So, um, so yeah, uh, Roxanne has a DNP, which you know we were talking about how I think one percent of all nurses have that degree. So it's a Doctorate of Nursing Practice, and um, so. I just got on. I got on the call today. I logged in, and I just immediately felt somewhat connected um, with Roxanne on many levels. So, yeah.
2: so how did you feel then in the nursing environment, Roxanne? With and then your inventorness of all this.
1: Yeah, it's uh, you know deep in, inside. I'm so excited. And that you have to harness that excitement because not everyone else is excited about innovation. In fact, people don't like change. Uh, And uh, it's, uh, I, I, with my colleagues and it's like, you you can't keep on preaching to your colleagues. It's better for them to come to you. And you can just say, this is what I created. And then I have stepped back and let them come to me. And uh, word of mouth uh, is and social media is how we market. We are a very small bootstrap uh, startup company. There's only five of us in McMurray Medical. And so uh, we don't have a lot of funds to do the all on marketing, but it's uh, word of mouth. And I tell you now, when I, I go to different anesthesia shows or through the EMS, people come up to our booth and say, I've heard of you. So oh, that. Yeah. So oh. it's 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 very neat when um, when people say I've heard of you and I want to trial your device and um, and then when they trial it and they provide feedback and with ongoing sales, it's like, let me tell you, it's it's tell me, you know, I, they tell me about their story and how it's made um, a difference for their patients and their breathing and Um, especially for endo, that's kind of our foot in the door initially, because Mm -hmm. uh, our device is the only one that fits alongside the EGD bite block. And uh, EGDs are when we have to share the airway with the, the GI provider, and that scope is large enough to occlude the patient's airway. So keeping that patient comfortable so they're not gagging on the scope and yet breathing, you can just imagine how challenging that can be. And having an airway device like the MEA uh, is a game changer when you can keep that patient breathing on the fly.
2: Well, I Roxanne said- and I have known each other for about a year, and and did some work together and things. And so I've been following her on LinkedIn very diligently. And I noticed <laughs> to sort of jump off on your, you've been attending some conferences. I've seen pictures of you at different meetings and things. So how did, so our audience would sort of understand, you know how how. How much prep goes into that, and how worthwhile was it for you to go there? What were some of the key learnings about getting ready, and then the learnings from those in-person events at conferences where, where you had a booth and things?
1: Oh yeah, so the prep is um, is um, in the booth itself, and what message do you want to send um, at your booth? Because there's some of these conferences are quite quite big. The the expo halls are huge. So what makes people stop by your booth and ask information? Well, I have found that a lot of people are just overwhelmed at the exhibit halls. Um, So I just, I just stand there and I have the airway in my hand, or I I ask them, you know, what are you doing with your airway management now? Uh, Are you happy with it? Um, What do you, um, what tool do you foresee yourself needing? And just having a conversation and asking them about their practice and then telling them what the MEA does. And boy, when I, I shared the story, it's like, it looks like a nasal airway, but it's an oral airway, it goes between the molars. And then they asked why the molars? And they explained, it's like, well, you know, our molars are stronger teeth than our, our incisors. So it's, a, it's a, you know, just pre- preparing that way. But um, there's a huge preparation afterwards too, and following up, and getting that message out, and uh, getting those trials and samples into providers' hands, and then following up and making the trials come into sales, and that is quite challenging because of the value analysis committees, especially in the larger hospitals, they they don't necessarily uh, see the value. It's like, well, they're comparing it to the device that was innovated the oral airway like a hundred years ago and marketed it made in China. Um, So, you know, I can't really compare it to that because we're in a whole different airway category. We're in that distal pharyngeal airway category and comparing ourselves to new innovation that opens that tissue in the distal pharynx. And when you compare it to that, it's like, wow, we are, we're very, very affordable. And we we don't require any setup. So the other um, two devices that open the distal pharyngeal tissue are the high-flow nasal oxygen and also the nasal CPAP or the BiPAP, and they both require setup. And the MEA is simply open, place, and go. So, Great.
0: one of the things that I'm I'm always really interested in, um, Roxanne, is the idea of. You know, the it's it sounds like Atlas with the world on your shoulders that you're you're doing it all. You know, you're you're still doing a little bit of practice, you're founding this organization, you're working the trade shows yourself. You've even just shared that your team is small behind the scenes. So, you know, how do you manage it all? How do you, you know, how do you seem to have more time in your day than I feel like I've got in mind? Because I, <laughs> I don't feel like I'm anywhere near that talented.
1: Oh, Colleen, that's a that's a good question. Um, I don't require a lot of sleep, so <laughs> <laughs> that's on my uh, on side, yeah. Oh, it's crazy. Um, you know, I do. Uh, I do have a good support system. Mm, you know, my husband's very supportive. My my children are adults, and I think having young kids would be really challenging. But I started this process when they were in middle school and high school. And I think they're kind of grateful because I have a tendency to um, really want to know what's going on in their lives. And I think it gave them a chance to, to grow up a little bit, while they're still home. <laughs> I didn't have to hover. So, um, but um, it's a, uh, you know, it's, you just have to pace yourself. It's always, you know, what are, what are my top priorities for the day? What do I need to get done? Who do I need to talk to? Who do I ne- need to network with? Um, where do I need to be? So it's it's all about setting priorities because you can't do it all and um, you, you just have to do your best, right? Stephanie, what other
2: insights do you have from a nursing point of view and others in the audience? Because uh... I know that you currently work for a company and things, but have you done any innovations or things that you might, you know, share some stories or differences?
3: Yeah, I mean, my uh, my innovation story is a little, there's some similarities, there's also some differences, but um, I also experienced a clinical challenge. Um, it had to do with pediatric vascular access, we didn't have the tools we needed, um i didn't take it on on my own um this was 15 years ago i don't know the time period for you roxanne but 15 years ago nurses were not considered innovators like we we didn't have innovation space within our health systems um i don't think i i wasn't in a circle that nurses were innovating And so I took my idea to a company and shared it with them and they worked to bring it to market. I was able to work alongside of them and name the product and things like that. But, um, you know, there wasn't really a space for me. And I, I don't know how you feel. I feel like today in 2023, we have nursing innovation organizations. A lot of health systems today have innovation centers where when a clinician has an idea, they can literally on their lunch break, go to a lab. Um, so Roxanne, I don't know how you feel, but I think the future of nurses innovators is really just evolving. Um, not sure if you've done any other, uh, support or work with uh, other nurse innovators. I can only imagine many reach out to you, but, um, but yeah, that's my, my background. And Roxanne, I'd be curious if, um, you know, you've had the opportunity to help mentor others. Because I think once you do this once, people come to you quite a bit, right? Oh, most definitely.
1: Yes. And I, I do make that a priority, taking time to speak to other people who have ideas and helping them work through um, the process of what their goals are. And I see uh, the companies having nurses on on their team. Uh, as a advisor or on the board uh, for innovation, because innovation is is what keeps us moving uh, forward and keeps a uh,
3: keeps the process going. Roxanne, that's an amazing point. I can tell you, on our innovation team, uh, we actually have two nurses and a physician associate as well, and. You know, I think having the voice of the provider or the clinician that's actually going to touch that product um, involved early on is, is really critical. Mm-hmm. Um, I always advise companies that are maybe early on with an idea, you can have a great idea, but if you don't have that end user um, side by side with you, your your likelihood of success is probably not as good. So, right. so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, a great to
1: talk to, Yeah, it's good to talk to people in the trenches and get feedback immediately before you go so, too far down the road. One direction.
0: of the things that we haven't talked about yet, but I, I thought was really fascinating during our, you know, looking into you and your background as well as that of your organization is... Uh, and something you haven't quite me- mentioned yet is that you have an award-winning product. Um, you, you've put it through a couple of those like, innovation labs, trade shows. Tell us a little bit about that—that that idea of, you know, when we were discussing, you know, just this tiny little little bit of of ideas can get to profitability. But it does seem like you're getting some amazing traction. So tell us a little bit about that aspect of the story.
1: Yeah. So in uh, 2019. Uh, we went to Amsterdam for the World Airway um, Symposium, it's called WAM, uh, and we were a finalist for the Innovation of the Year Award there. And uh, in 2021, the EMS Innovation of the Year Award, and then in March of this year, uh, the McMurray Enhanced Airway won the ANA, the American Nurses Association Innovation of the Year Award. And I tell you, it's it validates your product when you receive these awards from these different associations. Uh, it's um, and with the ANA uh, award, we were the team innovation winners, and that came with a stipend that was uh, sponsored by Striker, which was very, very um, timely for us. We're also in the process of applying for a NIH grant. Uh, mm-hmm. Stanford has agreed to do a randomized control study for us uh, if we are lucky recipients of that NIH grant.
2: That's really great because I think grants might be something that we could spend like a whole podcast on and have a focus. How do you do it? And where do you find lists of things and stuff? But so that's really great to hear that something, you know, in 2004, that was a kernel of an idea has now, you know, garnered, you know, these awards and things. And I love the smile and the the twinkle in your eye just talking about that because you can really I'm trying to describe for our audience, you know, what that really looks like, you know, <laughs> on somebody who's been really <laughs> successful. Um what sort of a few few odds and ends I think just to sort of uh the gaps in, in a little bit of the storytelling is what were really some key business uh, aspects that were so critical into either go, no go decisions, or do we go in this way or that way? Um, what kind of things did you really learn?
1: Yeah, you know, in the early stages of forming McMurray Medical. Um, which was in 2016 and our other two founding, um, founding uh, um, partners uh, are also uh, were from the same community as my husband and I lived in at the time up in Minnesota in the Twin Cities. And they had the backgrounds that um, my husband and I did not have. Um, one was uh, a manufacturing company. Uh, uh, Got, he had his own company, so he is a go-to for medical manufacturing. I didn't know anything about manufacturing. Uh, and the other um, investor um, had the financial background. And it's Pete and Steve. And Steve with the manufacturing background, he knew people around the globe that could help us formulate our, our company. Uh, we needed quality engineers. Uh, we needed um, uh, an engineer to help design the product. Uh, we need a manufacturer. Uh, we needed someone who had a background in resins. We also had to have uh, patent attorneys, uh, business attorneys, uh, legal attorneys. And then you have to have business people to help you start up a company on the side, uh, marketing, imaging. Uh, for, uh, it's, it's amazing the group of people that you need. But there's there's five of us. Now and then 1099 people. And when then we have a, a board of advisors that have a wealth of background in medical devices. But to formulate that that background, it's a combination of the partners that had those connections to make uh, McMurray Medical. And knowing, you know, when you like uh, Stephanie and I had that conversation with innovating, it's like it's it's hard to get a, a new product to market and you have to be able to pull away when you know it's not good. And if, uh, if the feedback is not good, if you know that it's um, a device that's not going to make a difference, you have to be able just to walk away. And I tell you, it's, it's kind of hard to do when you pour your heart and your soul in it uh, and time. But, boy, it takes a lot, a lot of money. Because uh, manufacturing, and you're giving all those samples out, you're giving those out for free, but you're mailing them for free, too. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, but you see the difference. And what keeps me going is uh, hearing the testimonies back from providers who have used the device. And my new passion is uh, with the opioid epidemic and EMS. And um, before... uh, The overdose um, patients, uh, you know, when you're calling nine one one and you're giving them the Narcan and before it's working, their respirations and ventilatory status is suppressed, and so we need to open that airway up to keep those patients breathing, so they live, but also they have cognitive function afterwards, because there's a, a increase in just uh, people living, but they're brain dead because we're not opening the airway and we're not ventilating for them. And there's a there's a huge need there.
0: So Roxanne, you just mentioned the opioid epidemic, which is a, a very pressing issue throughout a lot of, of middle America. Um, really, it's like almost coast to coast, but in that that central band. But that does seem to be a more pressing issue right now in the United States than in many other nations. Are you guys looking to, you know, do you have an action plan to try to take your product globally? Because in my mind, I, I see such a need for this space, and as somebody who has a very complicated medical history. I've, I've had, a, I've, I'm on a few different immunosuppressants and I've had the the exact issues that you're talking about of, um, you know, we're doing endoscopy and we're on the table for a significant period of time. And I, I, I feel that as the patient, I feel that. And so the idea of that there could be other people who don't have access to that yet. What's that, you know, is, is that something that's even within the plan right now? You know, maybe after the grant that comes in,
1: Yes, so it's definitely in the plan. And EMS is reaching out to us, uh, trying to work with uh, different companies uh, to maybe put it in a in a pack, in a little small pack that here, this is for uh, home use, maybe. You know, we still have to do some studies on that. Um, it is easy to use and late people can use it, but it does have to use, it has to be used properly, right? Uh, mm-hmm. Just like Narcan, there's a learning curve there. But um, that's that's a potential. Uh, it's also, um, you know, uh, you know, every first responder, police, fire, EMS, uh, to use to open the airway. It depends on where you work out of, uh, according to what you can use for airway management. Some people can place that LMA. Some uh, first responders cannot. And so uh, the DPA is more on basic airway management. So maybe if they can't place the LMA, they can place the DPA and still open that airway effectively to help that patient ventilate.
2: So are you selling globally and, and marketing globally or are you still in the U.S.? And what's your plan?
1: We are currently in the U.S., and since we're a small company, we are. We're, our plan is to stay in the U.S., do it well, and then branch globally. Mm-hmm.
2: So, do you need like a just for the audience purposes? Do you need like a CE mark to do that as well? And
1: yeah, so we do have European patents. We have um, patents in other countries as well. Um, we we need to grow as a company before mm-hmm. we go globally. Mm-hmm. Or have another company come alongside us,
2: yeah. yeah,, yeah. great information for our audience on so many different aspects. This has
0: been wonderful share with us. Thank you. I completely agree. I, you know, and some some of the more pressing items that you had mentioned, Roxanne, is the idea that innovation, although very exciting, can be very scary, and that you know the aspect of you know what was shared by yourself as well as Stephanie that innovation can happen at every level. It's it's everyone's responsibility that if you see something, say something. You know, there's people around you that whether it's your friends down the block, uh, you know, in in Peter and Steve, that can help you bring your dream alive. But there's so much opportunity there. And I think my very favorite item is the answer is always going to be no, unless you ask. I I loved that bit itself. We really appreciate, Roxanne, you joining us today and sharing your story as well as that of your company. If you're interested in learning more about MEA, you can find them online at mcmurraymed.com. And for our audience, we appreciate you joining us today. If you've not already done so, be sure to not forget to subscribe. Never miss a future episode of the MedTech Business Academy. Thank you all and have a great day.
1: Thank you so much.